Okay, so before we commence today's talk then, let us take a moment to pay homage to the most magnificent one, to the undefeated one, the unparalleled one, the peerless one, the supremely enlightened Gautama Buddha. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa I want you all to take a moment and bring yourselves back to reality. Today you're here at the monastery. You've come here to listen to a sermon. And it's quite possible that you've put aside all other problems that you might have in life, things that will keep you up at night, maybe, things that bother you, things that get on your nerves, something that might have upset you over the past few days, something that made you lose your cool, lose your temper, something that caught you unguarded, something that made you wonder, have I really understood the Dhamma at all? Hmm? Really? And I thought I, I had gotten it. I thought I understood it. But look at the way I behaved in that situation. Think about a moment like that. A time when maybe you had to surrender. To the Mara of sensual desire, to lust, desire. Maybe a time when you felt that you were better than everyone else. Or maybe it was a time that you felt you were less than everyone else. Think about a time like that. Hopefully you don't have to juggle your memory too much. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully something will spring to mind without much effort. All of you, young, elderly, children, adults. Think about home. Something must have happened. At the workplace, something's bound to happen. 
Maybe on the street. You went shopping. Or perhaps you were just, you had a headache as you woke up in the morning. And nothing else seemed, there wasn't any other problem. Everyone was okay. It was always good, except for this annoying headache. But it was just there all day long, and it really just didn't let you get into the good spirits that you would normally have found yourself in as the day progresses. And then you were just not yourself that day. You were not the pleasant, nice, amiable person that you normally are. Maybe your husband or wife said something to upset you. Maybe it was you were just able to sh stop short of an argument, but that took a great dose of courage and determination. You were just on the brink of it, but for some sort of luck, you were able to hold yourself back. But then after the fact, you thought to yourself, I still get angry. Things still get on my nerves. I'm still not happy. Maybe you saw something on television. Maybe you were browsing the internet. And there are all sorts of things on the internet, aren't there? Things that are bad for you and more things that are bad for you. Hmm? That's what's on the internet, isn't it? Things that are bad for you and more things that are bad for you. Now there are things that are good for you if you're careful enough. There are young people here as well who are exposed in abundance to everything that the world has to offer, good and bad. So I want you all to think of that moment. Think of a time that was not your proudest moment. Think of a time when you thought to yourself, no, I should be better than this. And for all the sermons I've been listening, for all the time I've been putting into my practice, for all the times I go up to the Swami Nuhansas and worship at their feet and I tell them, Swami Nuhansas, thanks to all of you, we've managed to get this far, you know, and the picture that you present in front of me is that who you really are? This is a question we should ask ourselves. A man is happy if he can say as he does, and if he can do as he says. But if a man cannot say what he does, or cannot do what he says, then he's not truly a happy man. Meaning, you're hiding behind a mask. I'm not having a go at you, you understand that, right? This is not an accusation or 
an insult of any sort. I'm just saying, you know, as a normal human being who's been through life, how many years of life that might have been, I know what it's like. I know that we are not always the best that we want to be. We don't always have our finest moments. There are times that we are annoyed. And sometimes we are annoyed by the way we conduct ourselves more than how other people present themselves to us. In these times, we have only one refuge. Because you see, if someone else upsets you, we still have the option of walking up to them and saying, hey, don't do that. That's bad. That's terrible. How dare you do something like that? How dare you say something like that to me? But when you are not in your best behavior, who do you go to? When it is you yourself who is not impressed by what you've said, what you've done, or what you've thought about, who do you go to? <laughs> huh? Yeah. So when you go to yourself, you need to have some way of comforting yourself. You walk up to yourself looking for solace. You go to yourself looking for some comforting, some words of comfort. And that, those words are the words of Dhamma. As I have been reminding you, we are getting into really deep waters here, as we have been expounding and digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the Dhamma. It's getting heavier, it's getting more interesting, but it's getting heavier. But if you are able to really apply it, then it's getting lighter, to be honest. The heavier it gets, the lighter it should feel. But if it just feels like it's getting heavier and heavier and heavier, then somewhere along the line, we've missed something. Because otherwise, you know, the Buddha, in all his wisdom, who would have understood the entire universe in all its profoundness, you know, he must have had an uncurable headache. <laughs> yeah? Because if knowing so much and figuring out all that leaves you in a splitting headache, then, you know, he would not have been able to be a happy man. But the heavier it got up there, the lighter it got down here. Agreed? Yeah. So we should see if the same is happening with us. The Dhamma is for nothing other than to heal. So if you all got that thing that has bothered you over the past week, let's try and work through it. Let's try and analyze it. Now, I'm sorry that I'm not going to be able to get each and every one of you to share your stories out loud and then walk you through it, but that is not my job. That's your job, isn't it? Mine is simply to show you how to do it, and then it's yours to actually take it by the horns and then do it yourselves. So if you all got something that bothered you, annoyed you, vexed you, frustrated you, Let's work, let's work through it. 
First and foremost, we must accept that that is not you. Are you ready for that first? So this is a practical approach to problem solving through the Dhamma. It's about time we did Prayogani One Mug in English, right? So this is how you ought to deal with these problems. This is the advice I get from my teacher every day, all day, all night long. Whenever I have a problem, he shows me, sort it out practically. This is the method, walk through it and do it yourself. If you run into problems, you can come and speak to me, but I've given you the way, I've shown you how to do it, go do it. Because he wants me to become independent, not dependent. And I want you to be able to do the same, so that you don't have to keep coming here. Ah, which reminds me. Last week, I think, I made a, uh, I jested that you have come to the mental asylum. Was it last week or the week before? Someone had taken it seriously. Yes. Yes, so I'm really sorry if I've disappointed anyone. They actually thought that this was a mental asylum and uh, they were looking to make an appointment. <laughs> so, in case I burst your bubble, I'm really sorry. This is not really a mental asylum, but well, this is a mental asylum of sorts, but not that kind of mental asylum, okay? It's the kind of mental asylum for people who have problems like the ones that you would have just thought of. Okay, so, <laughs> thankfully I, I remember, I, I thought to myself I should mention it. Because someone actually, yes, someone actually wrote in saying, you know, I'm diagnosed and can I come and, you know, you can't fault them, right? <laughs> one day, maybe, you know, who knows, one day. You know, right now we are getting our, we're dipping our toes into all sorts of different ventures to help people out, rehabilitation centers and children homes and all sorts of things up in the horizon coming up. You can all get involved in them when the time is ready. And uh, really give a good upbringing to the youth of our nation to teach them how to be a decent human being above all. Sudugati, where science, math, technology have prevailed over everything else. But we know that as parents, you can only have, you can only close your eyes and take a good sleep whenever the time is up, when you know that your children will live as good, kind-hearted, virtuous, yeah, decent human beings. All the money in the world is not going to let them do that. So we wanna, we wanna create that environment here. Lots of things planned for the future. We are always very busy at this monastery, I tell you. The one reason that my cough hasn't cured yet is because I can't keep my mouth shut in this place. No, honestly. I have a very busy day, every day. And I don't regret that. I, I love it. If you had asked me maybe several years ago, I would not have liked it. Because my interpretation, my understanding of Nibbana was very different back then. But you know, we all mature. I learn a lot about myself. Way back, I thought, you know, 
obtaining Nibbana was about isolating yourself from everything, maybe taking yourself to a cave somewhere away from civilization and uh, living in a deep dark hole. But uh, with time I have matured myself, I have learned a lot about myself, I've learned about life and I've asked myself, well, if the great elders, the Buddha had done the same, then you and I would not have anything today to call a philosophy. So today I try to dedicate myself to the betterment of all sentient beings. I think I, think I have clearly found my purpose now. I might have said this perhaps a couple of years ago as well. Maybe when I first started talking to you, I probably might have, should have said this. I found my purpose, but I think I, I will say it again. I found my purpose again. So my days are very busy. We have lots of things going on at the monastery. I know this is a bit of a digression, but it's still interesting to know what happens behind the scenes because you don't get to see this all day, every day. Lots of things go on in the monastery. You know, from our four o'clock waking up in the morning, we have programs, discussions, the, all the Swami Nuhansas, all the Anagarikas, as well as the Anagarika Mahatmyas at the Anagarika Rami. They get together to discuss the Dhamma, work through their problems. What I'm just gonna be going to do with you now, they do every day. And then two things our teacher always reminds us we must commit ourselves to my salvation and that of others. Do you know how many hours went into organizing that blood donation campaign? Lots. And the Saturday morning sermons and the Saturday afternoon programs and the the Karmastana Sajjana and the uh, Dhammapada and the Poyade programs and the Anagarika programs. We have about 14 young Anagarika children at the monastery. We need to look after them and never for a moment let them feel that they're missing their parents. We upskill them in every valuable facet of life. It's not just the Dhamma that we teach them. Did you know that? We teach them leadership. At our monastery, we have a leadership program. Did you know that? Well, I'll have you know then that we do. We have a special forces program. We call it the SF. I sometimes just it's shameless, fearless program, but they do like to call themselves a special forces program. We teach our monks leadership skills communication skills, time management skills, presentation skills. How to deal with problems. Because these are things I've learned, picked up along the way, never knew why I was learning them. But now I found my purpose. Did I mention that a moment ago? Yeah. We have a Siumaka program which is a Dhamma school for a vast number of children, both locally and internationally. 
I think we are probably one of the Dhamma schools that has the most number of pupils. Nothing to boast about. I'm just pleased that we are able to do that much for a lot of people. All our Swami is they work tirelessly. Because that is what you expect of them, don't you? Or what do you want me to do, rather? Sit down, relax, sip a Bacardi. You want your finest horses to always be in the races, don't you? Yes or no? Well, there you go then. I like to think that I'm your finest horse. I want to gallop. And run as fast as the wind can carry me. I want a full, full life. I don't want a life where I've, you know, the, my life has been counted by the number of years I've been alive. Pointless. Because I could never be able to beat a tortoise. Or an elephant. How long do they live? Turtle, what, 100 years? See, they're always going to beat me to it. But if I can count the success of my life, how successful my life has been, by the number of hearts that I have managed to heal, how many people I've been able to help get up on their own two feet, be a power to reckon with, to help people emp feel empowered, I believe that's a life that is worth having lived. Some of our young Swami Nuhansis had the fantastic opportunity recently to visit an orphanage. We've started doing that lately. Not many people know about it, because then they might not let, me, let us do that. Who knows? But on their invitation, we have been able to do so. And this is a, a girl's orphanage. It's more actually a remand home where young delinquents are captivated and, or rather they're put in a cell, sometimes for no fault of theirs. No fault of theirs because they need to be given the protection of the law. Because sometimes it's either their parents or their adults who are the perpetrators of the crime. And now law enforcement agencies have to keep the children safe from those who are meant to protect and keep them safe. So they get locked up. Yeah. So you can imagine the kind of the sentiments that those children must be going through, right? Just think about someone like someone your age do. There are young girls your age there. They feel that life is so unfair. They grow up hating everyone around them because they've done nothing wrong. But wrong is being done unto them.
and they share their stories with us about how they were abused. by some of their most trusted relations, sometimes teachers, parents, grandparents, uncles, cousins, friends. And they curse themselves for having been born humans. So knowing this is what's going on out there, you know, I can't just live a life just, you know, having my meal a day, listening to the Dhamma, doing some meditation, working on my salvation. It just doesn't feel right. We fight for justice, but it's a very different kind of fight. When we fight for justice, we don't go and teach the person who has wronged a good lesson. That's not the way we fight for justice. We teach sinners how not to sin. If you get beaten up by someone, don't come here with the person who beat you. I'm not interested. Come and tell me you were beaten and I'll tell you how not to be beaten again. That is how we serve justice. We know that people suffer because they're helpless. Because they don't know what to do. Things that have happened in people's lives have happened to them because they had no refuge. These young children, these young girls, I think they were about 13 or 14 of them in that particular children's home. Some of them are almost the age of almost 18. And because of some of the things that have happened to them, they resent society and they express themselves the only way that they know, which is by getting themselves into tantrums shouting out, screaming. Now, people who are there to look after them think that they're just misbehaving. So what do they do? Yeah. Put them back in, into their cells. You know, they're not animals. They're not animals to be tamed like that. But what to do? People don't understand how the mind works. Those who are in the capacity to look after these young children, to help them, you know, they don't understand how the mind works. So with no understanding of how the mind works, how do you fix a mind that is broken? It's not because they're bad. They don't, like, they don't want to be misbehaved. They don't want to be mischievous. This is the only way they know to express their frustration and their anger. They feel that someone has done wrong to them. What can you do if you feel, you feel the way you do, right? So I think for the third consecutive Poya day, we managed to go there and we started speaking to them. 
Avanagarika Mahatmas there giving them counseling sessions. I know. Incredible they are. I do tell them they really make me proud. And those children have started to show a difference, show a change in the way they react and respond to things. This is one girl who's almost 18. And the thing is, once she turns 18, she can no longer be kept held in a children's home. But she's the same girl that is misbehaving. So the only option that they have left is prison. And what wrong has she done? Nothing. Believe you me, the Anagarika Mahatmas, they came after the, uh, the program last Boya Day and they had sent a message asking us, Swami Nasa, is it not possible that we can start the Anagarika a training program for eight, you know, 18 year olds until we feel that they're ready to go on to become an Anagarika so we can give them an environment in which they're loved, they're cared for, and they're shown a future. You know, they have children just as much as every other child. Your child, their child, what difference is it? Every life is precious, every life is precious to them. You know, this is a human being after all. This is why I say, you know, my days are really busy. It's getting busier and busier by the day. And I'm loving it. I'm sharing this with you because I want you all to be part of it. We are a team. We are one team. There's none like us. Whether you like it or not, there's none like us. Because we're all heading in one direction. We've all got one aim. And we know that to achieve our salvation, we have to help others do that. Everything you're doing matters. Everything you do counts. Whatever you do, we double it, we triple it, we quadruple it. Guru Hamdur reminded me yesterday, you know, Swaminanda, he said, human life is so short. 60 years is nothing. With everything we want to do now to heal the human race, it just feels like <laughs> life is just too short. If the Sakadeva could give, come and give me a wish, now I feel I'd ask him for longevity. More years. Because I feel there's so much I have to do. There are so many people who need me. 
There are so many people out there who need to hear these words. These words that transform me. These words that can make a real difference in one's life. These words that can transform a machine of destruction to a machine that can heal and set the world right. I need you all to join me in that effort. Be strong. Fight. The world awaits you. Compassion, your good grace, your kindness. This is not your money. This is about your willpower. This is about your resolve, your intentions. Your want to do good. Your undying desire to mend as many broken hearts as possible. So touch as many lives as you possibly can because your life is very short. 60 years is all we get. He went on to say 15 of which we sleep. The first 10, 15 years of which we are useless. All we know is to swaddle in baby clothes and turn around this way, that way in a cot and be dependent on everyone. That's all we know to how to do. That's what we're best at. That's what we're good at. It's only after about 20s, 25, 30 on, you know, a brain cell starts to appear in this color of ours. And we start to make sense of what we need to do. That's when things start to happen. But then almost half your life is gone and you only have the very few years left to make a change. This is why it's so important that we do this with many people. It's not enough for me to produce one student. It's not enough for me to say, right, you, from today on, be like me and continue to serve. We can't stop with one. As I was going on the arms round this afternoon, in the corner of my eye, I saw how many monks were in procession. I didn't realize we had that many. And then the Anagarika Mahatya is behind them in single file. What a wonderful sight that was. By the time the front of the queue met the end of the queue, I wasn't hungry anymore. I was full with happiness. And then I saw the man in front of me. And I thought to myself, wow, you're an incredible human being. I didn't get to tell him that, but I'm sure he knows that I know that. We are an army. Not just us in suit, but all of you as well. We are an army. You should see some of the comments that come through online. Now you people, you get the opportunity to come and be with us, spend the day with us, spend a weekend with us, a week, meditation programs. Lots of people don't get that chance, you know that. Some of those comments that come through online, how much people have to endure, the things that they have to go through, 
all because they don't have the Dhamma. That's the only reason. That's where I feel I've not done my part. Minds suffer because there is no Dhamma. When there is Dhamma, the mind no longer suffers. And if I'm the one with Dhamma, then whose responsibility does it become to heal those minds? It's obvious, isn't it? Yes. That's why we need to do whatever we can to be magnets of people's meritorious power. You know, Guru Swaminasi always advises me, be someone who can attract other people's meritorious power. Because we, people in this world are of two types. One type, they'll be a magnet for people's demeritorious power. So if you've done something bad in your previous lives or even in this, just standing by them, walking past them, being with them, can cause you all sorts of harm, destruction. Then there's another type of person. Even if the good deeds that you've done are few and far between, if you are by their side, if you have them by your side, if you get to see them just but a few minutes, once a year, amazing things happen in their presence. This is because they are the environment which attracts the good deeds that you have done. To your point, sir. As the gentleman said, sometimes the environment isn't conducive to meritorious power being attracted and good things happening to them, right? Can't I change that? Yeah. You know, Sivali Maharaj, if the Buddha was in any doubt of whether they would be receiving arms on that day, he would say, Ananda, go see where Sivali is heading. Let's all head in that direction. <laughs> Right? How so? Because he was a walking magnet. Wherever he would go, he would create the environment. He would be the environment. Can you imagine that? Can you try and become the environment for someone? For good things to happen to people around you? Be that one person, be that person who is, in fact, the environment for someone. In your absence, terrible things happen to them. Terrible things happen to them, disaster. But in your presence, they can live a carefree life. They can live a happy life. Good things start to happen to them. Let's all try and become that kind of person. A person who is a magnet for people's meritorious power. I just found my purpose yet again. I don't know why I'm saying all this, but I feel like you need to, you need to know. 
I feel you need to know because I feel I feel I feel something in you. I feel you have something to offer. Young or old, male or female, black or white, I I just feel you have something to offer. I feel you have a lot of energy. I feel you have a lot of drive. I feel you have a lot of kindness. And I also know that there are a lot of people out there who are deserving of it and who need it. So join our army. Let's be a force for good. Let's be a force to be reckoned with. We must start with ourselves. Become better for others. I've told you this story before. Uh, two people said, two good friends, I'll look after you and you look after me. What was the wise man's response? No, let's not do that. I'll look after myself for you. You look after yourself for me. Let's all look after ourselves for everyone else. When our Swaminathan went to the children's home, I was utterly impressed by the talk that they had given to those young children. You don't know what they said? I asked them, what did you talk to them about? One Swaminathan was only 16 years of age. He tells me, Typically, in a children's home, the kind of sermon that they would receive would be something along the lines of, don't feel you don't have anything. Look at all the things you have in comparison to those who don't. It's not wrong, it's right. I mean, fair enough. There are others who uh, are handicapped. There are those who are blind, those who are deaf, but look at you. You got your eyes, you got your ears, you got your arms, you got your legs, right? Okay, yes, maybe you don't have a mother or a father. Don't think about that. Think about what you do have, not about what you don't have. So that is typically what they would hear. And, you know, fair enough. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good. So I asked him, was that what you talked about? He said, no. He said, if, I, if I'd spoken to them about that, they would have become good people, perhaps, but I wanted them to become great people. I said, what did you do? He said, he'd done an activity with the young children. What he had done was, he'd gotten all the children around, sat them around in a circle, and he'd asked them to take a piece of paper And write on that piece of paper what one thing each one could do for the other person, for someone else. So there were 13 or 14 of them, and each of the girls would take down a piece of paper, get a piece of paper and write on it what she could do to help one of the other girls, or all of them, all the other girls, improve in their lives. So it wasn't a case of what I have and what other don't people don't what other people don't have. It's more about let's focus on the other people. 
how can I live my life in a way that is useful, that is helpful, that is beneficial to other people? Because he said, to be good, it's enough for us to not do bad things and do good things. But to become great, we need to help other people, go on to help even other people do good things and great things. So that is what he had talked to them about. He'd shown them the video of, a video with uh, the great Mahakashapa, Maharatanvansi. You might have seen it, where he takes an arms bow and goes round on arms to a leper. You seen that? See, a Swami Nuhansi with an arms bow, for all intents and purposes, looks a beggar, right? He's a beggar, someone who's needy. That's why he has an arms bowl. He's going around asking for food. Please, can I have some? So he's a beggar. But then the leper, who spotted this Arathanwansi and thought to himself, what a fantastic opportunity I have today to offer what little I have to this man so that I can free myself from suffering. Now who's the beggar? It's not the Radhanasi. See, what Kashi Maharatanwansi did with his arms bow is give the other person an opportunity to free himself from suffering. We know for sure that he didn't, he didn't walk up to him just for a, uh, you know, an, a handful of rice. That was not what he wanted. Why did he then take that rice and sit down in the presence of that person, in his vicinity, and have the food then and there so that he could see and rejoice in it? Because he was not the beggar, he was the rich man. Because a rich man is not someone who has lots. A rich man is someone who always gives lots. That is what Mahakasha Maharatanwansi did. And what the Swami Nwansi had done at the children's home was to teach those young children, do it. Grow up to become someone who is interdependent. Someone who can help other people. Because you grow up today, this is the mindset that they have growing up in the children's home, they think that they're dependent on other people for their food, for shelter, love, caring, everything, education. They grow up thinking that the world must look after them. Everyone should look after them. That is not the mindset of a hero. We shouldn't grow up thinking that people should look after us. People should do things for us. We should grow up. This is what our children should learn. We should grow up asking ourselves, what can we do for other people? Not what other people can do for us. Because someone who always asks themselves the question, what can other people do for me? is a needy person. It's a needy mindset. That's a beggar's mindset. Even if you're a very rich person, you can still have a beggar's mindset. Because if you're rich, and all you're interested in is, how much more can I get? How much more can I earn? Where can I find more? 
more for me is a needy mindset a beggar's mindset but where can i get more for others how can i do more for others what more can i do for you that's a rich man's mindset that's the kind of person that we all should strive to be that's the army that i want you to join so stop thinking about yourselves enough perhaps most of your lives you've thought about yourselves how to look after yourselves how to give yourselves a good future how to make yourselves a stable future hmm enough if after what 30 40 50 60 years this is all you manage to achieve any harder any longer is not going to give you much more than this you haven't become mother teresa yet have you or mahatma gandhi see they didn't live for themselves they lived for others and if i'm bringing examples like mahatma gandhi and mother teresa you know they are in comparison although good and great people when we consider them against the arahants because you can become even better even greater focus more on others focus on what you can do for other people think about how your existence can help transform other people's lives and again i reemphasize the point this is not about spending every penny you have it's not about that that's a very little thing in comparison it's about your approach it's about how you make another person feel it's about how you inspire someone else to go on to become great people see if you feed a man today he'll go he'll be able to relieve himself from hunger today but if you teach a man how to cook how to make how to grow how to till the soil how to cultivate now you've taught a man to become independent that didn't cost you any money i want you to be true inspirations to other people you know people respect you people admire you can't you at 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 the drop of a hat if i were to ask you think about five people who really admire you can't you think of five people who really admire you i'm sure you can five people who idolize you five people who think wow if i could be like her one day for a daughter it may be her mother for a sister it may be her brother or her elder sister you all are more than you think you are all of you you're much much more than you think you are don't settle for less you know if you only just if you only started listening to the buddha dhamma for like say the last 5 years 6 years and so on right you've only just started to come out of your shells you're still taking baby steps 
You might be mature in age, but you've only just started coming out of your shell. You're only just making yourself precious to the people around you. So please don't settle for less. Ask for more, but for other people. Do everything in your power. Remember, there's no one like you out there. You are all capable of so much more than you think you are right now. I'm speaking this out of my own personal experience because with every passing day, I realize that I was just not enough yesterday. Every day, I think, I think this to myself. I was just not enough yesterday. It may be because of my teacher who relentlessly inspires me and keeps pushing me to my absolute limits. If it doesn't break me, he'll keep pushing me. And I love him for that. And I want you all to feel empowered and inspired to do the same. Do everything in your power to help as many people as you can. Find the truth, because it is the truth that will set people free. So I'm going to help you now to become an environment which helps other people to, to have their meritorious power drawn through you. This is the practical application of the Dhamma. Okay? So I asked you right at the beginning to remind yourself of a situation, an example of something that might have happened over the past few days, maybe in the past week that caught you off guard, that upset you. Let's take a moment to think about how we can deal with something, a situation like that and find answers. When, when you know this, you can teach this to your children. You can teach this to your loved ones, to your friends, to your family. Suffering is not you. Suffering is a byproduct. It is not natural to suffer. Right? Can you jot that down? It's not natural to suffer. Make a mental note if you don't have a book and piece of paper. It's not natural to suffer. So if you're suffering, that's not you. That is something else. Let's get that down into our heads first. It's not you. It's something else. Physically, if something's not you, and if it's something else, what do you do with it? It's called a foreign body. Have you heard that? A foreign body? Yeah. So when something's not you and it's something else, it's called a foreign body. What do you do with foreign bodies? Yes. You get rid of it. Uh, yes, and, and all sorts. Okay. All kinds of suffering, right from jati, which is the root of this tree, to all the branches and the leaves and the twigs and all of it. It's not you. You are not suffering. You are free of suffering. Suffering is artificial. It's a foreign body. Therefore, 
If you don't want it, you can rid of it. Do you want it? Clearly not. Obviously not. So the first lesson in healing the mind of suffering is to understand that this is not me. Now, I ask you to think about a time when you might have been angry. In that moment, it's natural for you to feel that you're an angry person, but that's not the truth. In those moments, it will be really helpful if you can come to your senses as soon as possible. Because what's happening there is you've lost your bearings. You lose your bearings. When your mind gets hijacked, you lose your bearings, like an aircraft. When it gets hijacked, it loses bearings. It, doesn't, it wants to go this way, it goes that way. But it's not you. See if you can somehow find a way to bring yourself back to your senses. Sometimes So some of you, I know, you, you are the Piritnu, right? For some of you, that can be the jolt that brings you back to your senses. I used to do that as a lay person. When I used to wear my Piritnu, right? people used to tell me this gives you protection. And I always wondered, you know, as a scientist, how does a Piritnu give you protection? This is just thread. And then I realized how it gives me protection is when I see it in, on my wrist, when I feel it, it reminds me that this is not me. This is not me by default. Something has happened. A foreign body has come in. So I can change it now. It brought me back to my senses. Because if, we, if, we, if that doesn't happen to us, we start going down that rabbit hole. And we can completely get lost in there. And then we go on to do things that we later on regret. But, see, having a teacher, having a Kalyanamitta by your side <clears throat> is most useful for that purpose. That's why as a Swami knows, I don't need to wear a Preetnura. Because I have my teacher with me. I have noble friends always with me, watching out for me. They are my Preetnura. See, there's one there. That's my piritno. So have one. Or maybe it's, some, it's a few words. Perhaps it's something on your wallpaper. A few words that will bring you back to your senses. Something like, are you thinking straight? Is that you? You know, just a question to prompt you back to your senses. This is a teacher in the absence of a teacher. I think it's, it's going to be really practical advice. If you can, if you can have something like that, uh, uh, you know, a token, a reminder, just to, just to bring you back to your senses. Your mobile phone, you know, especially for young people, it's a good thing to have something like that on there. Just to bring you back to your senses. Because sometimes, you know, you don't know, you, you went in there to do one thing, but now you're doing something else. Something to bring you back to your senses. I think everyone needs something like that. Until you are steady and on firm ground. Then you're okay. 
So have something like that, whether it is your pirit nula or something you put on your, you know, on the fridge. Maybe it's a, a small Buddha statue you, you place somewhere. I've seen people keep one on, a, on their dashboards in the car. If you use it for this purpose, then it's a good thing to do. I've sometimes seen people um, with the Dharma chakra that hangs from the uh, rear view mirror. And it reminds them, so you're driving on the road, you get angry with, about something, you see that, okay, this is not me, come back. That's a teacher in the absence of a teacher. It goes, come on, come on, back, back, come on, back to your senses. Because now you can start to think straight. Because before they start treating you, they've got to take you to the accident and emergency ward, right? So, so this is where they take you into the ward and put you on the bed and then they can start treating you. So have a device, have some kind of strategy to bring you back to your senses. I want you all to think of something that will work for you. It will be individual for each and every one, one of you. <coughs> Excuse me. It'll be different things for each, each and every one. But parents, please check your children have something like that. Ask them. You know, do it at school. Something happens. You know, you, you, you get into the wrong kind of, I don't know, association. Something happens. Someone says something. You get angry. What do you have to bring you back to your senses? Make sure they have something with them. And, you know, as Buddhists, the Pirit Nula is a really powerful thing because it's, it's, it's very versatile. It's always with you. Right? And if you treat it in that, with that intention, it's always there. And every Sunday, you, every Saturday, you get one. So make use of it for that purpose. It's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not fashion. Although some people make it out to be that. Yeah? They make fashion out of it. Okay, so be it. But what I'm saying is that is not what it's intended for. Help it to bring you back to your senses. Right, what do we do then after that? Now we know that it's not me. This is a visitor. An unwelcome visitor. This is a foreign body. So, we need to find a way to get this person out. The best thing to do at this point is to contemplate if that is not who you are, then who are you? Before we start kicking people out, let's figure out who the friendlies are and who the enemies are, lest we kick the wrong kind of wrong person out. Let's find out who we are. Who am I? Actually, who are you? Once you figure out who you are, then you can work out who's not you. Last week we discussed man or machine. In trying to answer who you are, start to contemplate on the Dhamma and really try and get an answer to who am I? What is this? You can start with mind and body. The more you practice this, the quicker it will become. The sooner that you can pacify yourself. 
The reason that we lose our cool is because we lose focus of the truth. So the, the sooner we focus on the truth, the sooner we regain our composure. So who are you? Mind and body. Are you anything more than that? No. Mind, body. Now think about what's going on in that situation. So this is step three. What was step one again? First, you need a reminder to push you back to reality. Right? That it's it's almost impossible to do it on your own, unless it comes with practice. You know, with practice, this is the yoniso manasika. With practice, it becomes you know you are able to do it without any help, but that takes that takes a long time. Right? And you know, in the absence of a teacher, in the absence of Swami Nuhanse at home, right? You, 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 uh, I can't help you with that, unfortunately. Right? Have something, a talisman, that will help bring you back to reality. That's the first one. Number two, this is not you. This is something else. This is a foreign body. So I don't want it to determine and dictate what's going to be happening with me from here on. Because now I know that this is not me, this is somebody else. I'm not like that. That's number two. Number three. What was number three? Yes, that's right. Who am I? Mind and body. Step three, mind and body. Reflect on this, this aggregate that is you as mind and body. When you do that, now you have things that affect the mind and things that affect the body. This is why this is a very logical and very practical approach. There are things that affect the mind, there are things that affect the body. What things affect the body? Give me some examples. Hunger. What else? Hmm? Pain. Yeah, pain. If you're tired. Heat. Yeah. Sorry? Body, Buddha? What things affect the body? Health. Yeah, health. Yeah. So... You get the gist, right? Physical sensations. These are the things that affect the body. Now, once you, once you split this two, mind and body, work out if the problem at hand is something that is to do with the mind or something to do with the body. This is the diagnosis that a, pa that a doctor would do with their patient. Work out whether this is a problem with the mind or a problem with the body. If it's a problem with the body, then put the Dhamma to a side. Yes. Put the Dhamma to a side and treat it in the most appropriate way possible. Right? So there are inappropriate ways of treating that and there are appropriate ways of treating that so, treat it in the appropriate manner. So, for example, you're feeling hungry. How is the Dhamma going to help you then? The Dhamma can't help you there. Right? So, put the Dhamma to a side and go and find something to eat. Now, if it's not a problem with the body, 
now you know it's a problem with the mind next thing to do if you've now figured out that it's a problem with the mind ask yourself this question what is the mind what is the mind you know how there's this saying mind your business yeah mind your own business mind your business what is that what does that actually mean when someone says mind your business yeah yeah right don't make my problem your problem just mind your own business right see the mind is very bad at minding its own business <laughs> exactly the mind is terrible at minding its own business what is the mind's business yeah 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 processing right this is a process we talked about the mind has a business so mind your own business what is the mind's business we've talked about this now you should all be able to spell it out for me as i write it on the board quickly hmm yeah ah uh, that's right very good receiving registering recognizing responding perceiving you like my writing Yeah. This is the mind's business. The mind has no complete my sentence. No other business. The mind has no other business. what are they at least what do they look like <laughs> yeah that is konnichiwa that is sayonara huh? so i ear nose tongue and body there to do what receive recognize sorry beg your pardon receive register recognize respond and perceive what sight sound smell taste touch that is the mind's business the mind so you have mind and uh, mental thoughts yeah let's put it in there just for comprehensiveness this is the mind okay that blob and you have memories and things like that hmm so that's fine as well thank you so 1 2 3 4 5 6 6 sense doors the mind's business 
is to receive, register, recognize, respond, and perceive the six stimuli that come through the six sense doors. Anything and everything else is not your business. Anything and everything else is not your business. So what happens if someone tries to do something that is not their business? Hmm? Absolutely. You get into all sorts of problems. It is not the mind's business to do anything other than these things on these things. So these are the inputs. This is the process. And the output is ultimately the perception. So it's a, it's a processing device, like a computer. You could put the CPOC model into this. You have your suppliers, which is the, uh, the sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and so on. Then they have the inputs, right? Then the processing and the uh, outputs. And your well, customer is the mind itself. Again, stuff we teach in the leadership program. As I said, we're very busy at the monastery. Because we want, we want, to, we want to create Swami Nuhansas who are fitting the 21st century. I'll just give you a, a, a bit of a trailer, right? This Sunday, as in tomorrow, we're going to start a teacher's training program at the monastery. Can you believe that? A teacher training program. No, not yet. <laughs> no. In due course, in due course, right? We're going to be doing it for every teacher, Swami Nuhansi, at the monastery. So every Swami Nuhansi who's a teacher at the monastery. So we have about, I think, 30-odd Swami Nuhansis who are teachers to the Anagarika Mahathas, to the Anagarika Mahathmias, and to other Swami Nuhansis. We have developed uh, a diploma program. You get a certificate at the end of it. And we teach them psychology. We teach them Buddhist psychology. We teach them methods on how to tackle problems. We teach them about communication skills. We teach them, about, we teach them active listening skills. We teach them how to give feedback. We teach them lots of things. This is a university. This is the university of life, this monastery. And I'm so proud to be a member of it. So incredibly proud. You are our biggest assets. You know, you really are. Because it's either you or your children who are here with us. And in giving us your children, you have entrusted us with you know, every ounce of trust you've placed on us. It's just incredible. You've given us your children to, to bring them up, to foster them, to you know, help them grow up, to become wonderful and amazing citizens of this, of this world. So in that teacher training program, the reason I mentioned that is they're going to have to write a dissertation, a three to 4,000 word dissertation as part of their diploma. And the title of that is uh, the bhikkhu of the Buddha's era in the 21st century. So they need to compose a dissertation, which is their thesis, 
on how do you how to produce a Swami Nuhanse to go on to become someone who represents a, a bhikkhu of the Buddha's era. So someone like the great elder Arahants, uh, Sariputta Thera, the Moggallana Thera, Ananda Thera, and so on. So it is our teacher's duty, teachers as in the plural, our teacher's duty to produce our young offspring, these young Samanera Swami Nuhanses, to, to become great elders like that. So they, they have a dissertation to, to prepare as well. That's, that's how much we, we, we focus on, on creating you know, real talent in, in our monastery because we know that you know, our journey is not for the next 5, 10, 15 years. We are headed, we are aiming for the next 600 years. It's a long journey, long journey ahead of us. But we've got to start here, start now. right? And you're all going to be part of that. You are, I need your help. I need you to join me and help me in making this possible. Right? Okay? So, coming back to this. What are we talking about? Mind's business. business, yes. Thank you. So, this is the mind's business. The mind has no business doing anything other than this. Now, let's take one of those situations that you would have thought about when I asked you to think about. <coughs> Excuse me. Think of one a moment ago. Let's say um, you agreed something with someone. You agreed on uh, doing something or meeting somewhere or, you know, you came to a, you made an appointment with someone and they never turned up. Or say someone borrowed something and they have no plans on giving it back to you. Or someone's kept a promise so they've Promise to keep a promise, but they've broken that promise, whatever, right? Now, first things first. You're, so you're becoming, you, you, you're reminded of the situation. You're, you're in the midst of it now and you're, you're becoming emotional. You've become angry. First, what do you need now? Step one, step back to reality, right? So you need that talisman, Pirit Nola or whatever, right? To bring, bring you back into your senses. Number two, it's not you. It's not you. This is not me. Right? So we remind ourselves, this, this, this negative emotion, this is not me. This anger is not me. I am not angry. Anger is a foreign body. I am not angry. Anger is a foreign body. Does that make sense? I am not angry. Anger, anger is a foreign body. Next, who am I? Therefore, mind and body. Is this a Mental problem or is it a physical problem with the body? Now, we are angry. Anything to do with the body? No, nothing to do with the body. Now, there will be on some occasions, let's say, uh, say there's a mosquito sucking your blood. Okay? And now that has made you angry and you're thinking to yourself, what do I do? Hmm? Shall I teach it a good lesson <laughs> that it will never forget? Right? So, but you're, you're agitated now because there's a mosquito. Now, let's take that problem. So, first come back to your senses. So, you know, fortunately, if it's close to your piritnul, it helps. <laughs> right? It helps if, the, if it lands close to your piritnul. Right? Which one? Uh, once someone's going to win. Right? And then, is it a, who are you? Right? Mind, body. Now, you know, you, you feel the pain. 
So clearly, this is a there's a physical element and there's a mental element. The physical problem here is that the, the mosquito is sucking your blood. And in the process of doing it, it might make you fall ill. So what do you do about that? Yes, of course. Put the Dhamma to a side. Put the Dhamma to a side and deal with the problem. Chase it away. Move it out of the way. <clears throat> uh, yes, in the most appropriate manner. Yeah, there are several ways you can you can chase it away. And that's one. Right? Not very appropriate. Now, what is not appropriate will become obvious if you also start to see, if, is there a mental problem here as well? It's very important to distinguish these two from one another. You know, all you need to do is chase the poor guy away. If you're going to get angry about it, that's not a physical problem anymore. That's a mental problem. Because the body is not angry. Is it? The body is not angry. Yes. Let's go and ask the mind. Are you minding your own business? Hmm? Let's ask the mind. Okay, so what's going on right now? This stage, right? Body. Mosquito on the body, sucking blood. You can feel the sensation. It's going through the process and you're receiving it, registering it, recognizing it, responding to it, and now you're perceiving it, that this is a mosquito sucking my blood, right? That is what the mind is there for, to identify what's going on with the world, right? The mind has done its, the mind has done its job. Yeah, so the mind should not have a preference here. I'm not saying that it should be pro-pain. The mind shouldn't be pro-pain. In fact, well, not propane as in propane, <laughs> not the hydrocarbon, right? Pro-pain, right? So the mind should not be pro-pain. What the mind should be is against pain. That is why we are in the process of, you know, working through our liberation, Nibbana, because we don't like pain. So once the mind identifies this, the next thing to do is the mind can now ask this itself, what do I know about this? What do I know about this pain? So remember, we are dealing with two, two, things, two things here. One, there was the bodily pain, and secondly, there's the, the mental pain, right? The body, because it hurts, we know we can relieve ourselves of that by just chasing the mosquito away. Do we need the Dharma for that? No, we just need knowledge for that. Because you need to know that the mosquito has to be chased away, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't know what to do. Like a little kid, an infant doesn't know what to do when the mosquito is biting him. So that you just need your knowledge. Next up, the mind is angry, the mind is annoyed, the mind is agitated at this point in time. It's not the mind's business to get angry about this. The mind is like a news reporter. An independent news reporter has no business, does he or she, in giving their own uh, opinions, let's say, on what's going on. An independent news reporter should only report. As they say, we report, you decide. Right? That is what the mind should do. The mind should just report. Here's what's going on. The mind should not get into or get hijacked by this other process that we briefly touched on last week. <clears throat> this is the unproblematic process. This is the normal process. 
And now then there's the other process. What was the other process? The hijacked process. What was the hijacked process? Remember we talked about there were two processes that run in parallel, right? This is one process. Any problem with this? No, that's perfectly fine. The second process. We start with, I'm going to take this out. Ignorance. Now I'm trying to show you, folks, how we connect the self to, to deal with a day-to-day -day problem. Okay, because we've been talking about self, right? okay, self, big, big thing, profound, very deep, okay. But how do we actually bring it, you know, down to the grassroots level and actually make it practical and applicable to a day-to-day -day life situation? Now we know that this mosquito or, you know, by the mosquito biting or the uh, something happened, in, you know, in your, in your life and you're annoyed about it. Because there's a self or the sense of a self or rather the feeling that this is happening to me. So who's the mosquito biting right now? Someone. It's biting me. And uh, we took the example just a moment ago about, you know, say someone made an appointment with you and now they've left you disappointed, right? Who did, who did something to whom? See, there are two questions for which you have answers, shamefully. There are two questions for which you have answers, for which you really shouldn't be having any answers. Who did something to whom? You're saying, here the mosquito is biting me. Or, with the, the other example, uh, say someone took something that just belongs to you and they've, they've not returned it, right? She took something that belongs to me. This is not the mind minding its own business. The mind has gone AWOL. Reason the normal process that we talked about earlier, there is no room for something like this to be produced. There is, no, there, is, there is no way for something like this to be produced by the standard, by the normal, by the default process. Remember, all it could do was receive, register, recognize, respond, and perceive. Where's all this coming from? Receiving what? The only things that can be received are what? These five things or these six things, right? So how did a who, how was a who received? How can, you, how can you receive something that was never delivered? Hmm? Catch. Now what if the lady said, oh, thank you, Swami Nasir. <laughs> when I didn't actually throw it to her? Hmm? If she if she just pretended now as if I, I actually threw it to her, you know, you'd have to say she's she's a bit, you know. <laughs> because I didn't throw anything. So if something wasn't delivered, how can it be received? Meaning it was created on the inside. It never came from the outside. 
Isn't that right? Yeah. If if there's something in a process, right? This is a box, a black box. You're feeding in A, B, and C. And outcomes A, B, C, and D. What can you say about this process? Something else is going on inside. If you put in A, B, C, and you're getting A, B, C, and D, then something unknown to us is happening on the inside. So this D didn't come from the outside, meaning it has to be generated on the inside. We're talking about this process as being that process one, A, B, C, A, B, C in, A, B, C out. Okay? But there's a process two which kicks in and you get a D outside. Meaning there's something going on on the inside which didn't come from the outside. Right? Going back to our situation here, there was a mosquito that bit you. That was fine. If you sense the mosquito, all right, no problem. But if you're saying who did something to whom, if you feel that this mosquito bit me, there was no, there was no process there for a self to have come about. So something foreign is going on inside. So the mind is not mind, it's its own business. Something else is going on on the inside. This self is being created on the inside. And when the self is created on the inside, now things that happen normally start to have a personal connection. This personal connection starts to happen in our minds. You know for sure that when I say she died, right? I say she died. That's a sentence, right? In itself, she died or she passed away. You're like, oh, okay, someone died, someone answered. Yeah, she died. Okay, you'll say. Then you ask, who's the she? Oh, your mother, I'm afraid. Then the reaction is completely different. But I was, I was talking about the same person earlier. So why this change in reaction? Personal connection, yeah? Personal connection. That personal connection is not to do with the outside person. It's not to do with this person. It's a creation, it's a concoction that happens in the inside of the mind. That creation of a self. When that creation takes place, now things that happen on the outside somehow feel like they're happening to you. The truth is, folks, there's nothing that's happening to you right now. Nothing's happening to you right now. Because there's no you for things to happen to. You just feel that there is a you. You sense that there is a self. You sense that there's an entity to whom things happen. But the truth is, things happen. That's why we talked about the sense of belonging a few talks back, remember? Right? Things happen. But inside we feel that things happen to me, from him, from her, from them, and so on. These are not individuals or entities from whom things happen to whom. They're just things that happen. See, when these two pens collide with each other, right? you never tell me that this guy hit this guy or this guy hit that guy. 
because you don't feel it that way. But you tell me, things happened. Collision, right? Sound, impact. You can talk about these things. But if I were to draw a face on this, and maybe connect some arms and maybe a pair of legs, right? And then do the same on this one. Now you'll actually tell a story, won't you? You say, once upon a time, right? There was the blackie and there was the bluey, right? And they met somewhere and then they got into a fight, right? And you can actually start relating a story. How are stories made? Yes. We create stories. We create stories when we begin to think that things happen to people. Things happen to entities. Things happen to individuals. But nothing of the sort happened, folks. Nothing of the sort happened. A mosquito biting. What really happened was touch. A touch sensation. It was a painful touch sensation. I'll give you that. But there was no mosquito there. Now, I know this sounds really weird. Because then you'll be asking, what was it then? An elephant, Swami Nuhansa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sense that you get that there is a sentient being. We talked about the sentient beingness. Remember that? Yeah, This sentient beingness or this sentience, I looked up the word, apparently it's sentience, right? This sentience, sentient beingness rolls off the tongue better. This sentient beingness does not exist in these outwardly projections. Focus on yourself for a second and try and see if you can make sense of what I'm talking about here. Right? Just look at, look, at your, look at your hands for a second. Right, look at your right hand or your left hand. You know, you, you can see your fingers, right? Wiggling them, right? Moving them about. When you look at it, you get this impression that it's you who's doing it, right? And you get the feeling that it's your hand, your fingers. This is a hand. These are fingers. This is wiggling. This is motion. All of that is true. What is not true is that this is your hand. So what, it's yours then, Swami <laughs> No, it, I beg your pardon, sir? Carry on. Yes, that is the truth. What we're trying to explain here is how this false sensation comes about, right? What the gentleman says is absolutely true, spot on. This is, it's a manifestation. This motion is a manifestation. This hand is a manifestation. All of that is true. But at the same time, you're, you're also manifesting a, a sense of a self. That, that self does not exist. It's only a manifestation, a very temporary, transient manifestation. It's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's a, it's a sensation. A sensational sensation. It's a mirage. But it is dukkha which is causative of suffering. Now, I want to make sure you walk away with the... How do we solve this problem? 
right? We have problems in life. How do we deal with them? First one, back to senses. Right? We come back to our senses, right? So for that, we need a, a bit of a push, some kind of a, a yeah? A what, sorry? Device. A device, yes, a device, yeah. Two, it's not me. Is it? Well, it's not me. <laughs> okay. It's, it's not me, right? It's not me. Then, who am I? What are we doing at this point? Mind and body. Mind and body. Why are we doing this uh, dichotomy? Absolutely. Because if it's a problem with the body, then what should you do? Leave the Dhamma to a side. Okay, let's not... Let's not use the wrong tool for the wrong for the wrong job, right? So if it's to do with the body, then in the most appropriate manner, right? Fix that problem. And then problem solved. But if it's to do with the mind, now ask this I ask your mind the question. Are you are you minding your own business? Are you minding your own business? You know, have it written down somewhere, folks. Maybe in your diary. Maybe in your daily journal if you, have, if you, if you use one. Maybe it's on your phone. Maybe it's on your wallpaper. Right? Maybe it's on your dashboard somewhere. Maybe it's on your fridge somewhere. You remember, I remember some of you used to do this with uh, what you're waiting for. Huh? Yeah? Yeah? What you're waiting for? Yeah? When we talked about... <laughs> yeah? When you were waiting for something, but something else was also coming along the way. Yeah? So likewise, right, you can use something like this. Are you minding your own business? Because remember, suffering is only prevalent until there is ignorance. Where there is no darkness, there is light. So the only thing you need to do is to free, to free yourself from darkness is to shun some light on it. This is the most wonderful thing there is about this Buddhist philosophy. When you see the problem, it's no longer a problem. I don't know how better to put it than that. It's just, it's so beautiful that it is the way it is. A problem is only a problem until you see the problem. So really, there are only, you know, there is no such thing as a solution in this world. There are only two types of problems. There are problems that you've seen and problems that you haven't seen. In other words, there, are, there is no such thing as a problem. There are only solutions. The solutions that you have seen and the solutions that you haven't seen. You know, if you, if you were to take a piece of thread and, you know, it was knotted, right? It's a, it's a knotty problem only until you see how the knot has come about. The moment you spot that, it's no longer a problem. So a problem is only a problem until you actually see the problem. I think it was uh, Einstein who said once, give me an hour to solve a problem, right? And I will spend 55 minutes of it trying to understand the problem and five minutes solving it. Whereas what most, what most people do is, yes, they try and spend 55 minutes to solve the problem. When the problem, and, you know, and then actually they spend the whole hour trying to solve the problem. And then the problem is still not solved. We, we spend far too much time trying to solve problems. Really when we all we need to do is try to 
see the problem and understand the problem. So that's what we're trying to do here. Are you minding your own business? We know now what the mind's business is. These are the five things, right? To do with these five things that come to the mind, projected from the outside through our five sense doors, or if you might, if you include the mind, the sixth one as well, right? These six things and nothing but these things happen. In this aggregate that you are, nothing other than these six things happen. I, I grant you, I promise you that, except for one other thing. When the mind's not minding its own business, now there is an additional process that takes place, which is process number two, which is the creation of that self, that sense of self. And the moment that sense of self is created, through what we discussed earlier about, you know, how Natasha and that insanity mode, right? We will talk about these concepts again in future, right? When this insanity mode kicks in, now all these sensations somehow all of a sudden become personalized. They become, they become personal to you. So good things, again, you take personally. Bad things equally you take personally. Is it, is it okay just to not take the bad things personally and only take the good things personally? What do you think about that? That's all right, isn't it? Huh? What if you took the good things personally, not the bad things? How about that? I said, don't take it personally, but I've got a gift for you. <laughs> huh? Isn't, isn't that okay if someone does something good for you and you, you take it personally? See, this is the thing, right? You know, people will tell you, don't, think, don't take things personally only when things don't go right, right? right? When if, if something's working all right, Right? You're in a good relationship, you know, things are working out, you know, you're in a loving, caring relationship. Then they say, you know, oh, how wonderful it is to be like this. Right? Now it's okay to take things personally, apparently. So it's, it's okay to be mad if you're the good kind of mad. No, the truth is, that, you know, you can't, you, can't, you can't justify that. Because madness is madness. And besides, even when things are working in your favor, remember, there's always fear. Right? Grief is only one part of the story. We always forget fear. Don't we? We always forget fear. Absolutely, sir. Yeah, yeah. Without, without, without good, there's no bad. Without bad, there's no good. It's, it's a duality. So, the mind has no business personalizing these things or personifying these things. There's no person here. These are just events. These are just occurrences. The mind's job is simply that of a news reporter. Something's happened. Here's what's happened. That is the mind's business. So ask yourself, is the mind doing anything other than what it's meant to do? Is the mind trying to personify? Is the mind trying to, or rather, personalize? To, to, make, to make this, you know, to... to uh, Make this an intimate experience because that is not the mind's job. If it's happening, then please come to your senses that you've gone mad. So what do you do after that? How, come back to the truth. What do you need to do to come back to the truth? Just to see the, just to see the truth, isn't it? That's the beauty of this. All you need to do to see the light to come out of darkness is to see the light. See, if this was a dark room and I want to read the room of darkness, what do I need to do? Switch on the light and then do what? Nothing else. 
Do I need to switch on the light and then do some? No. All I have to do is switch on the light. That is the beauty of the Dhamma. The moment the Dhamma is there, now you're in light. And with that light, with that wisdom, darkness is dispelled. So the moment that you see that the mind is doing something other than what it's meant to do, you've already realized what the mind is supposed to do. That realization in itself is what's going to solve that problem. Now, I know this is me saying it, and it's something else for you to be doing it. So here's what I want you to do now. I want you to take this method home with you, and I want you to try it for a week, because this is what I do, and it helps me. I, I promise you, this is what I do. Whenever something happens, because I'm not an arahant, right? things happen, and when things happen, I ask myself, I, I first get myself back into my senses, right? Come back to sense. This is Yoniso Manasikara, the start of it. Then I ask myself, then I tell myself, no, this is just this is this is an, an unwelcome visitor. Right? Guru Swaminasa nicely puts it as an agantuka upaklesha. Uh, an, an unwelcome defilement into the mind. This is not me. I'm not like this. Something's happened. This is a foreign body. So this can be changed. Therefore, you know, the beauty of this is, the most, the, why this is vital is because you don't then start beating yourself up about it. That's the worst thing to be doing, folks. Please, please, please never catch yourself doing that. It's a vicious cycle. If, if you ever try, start to guilt trip yourself for something that has happened to you, if you feel, you know, desire, anger, delusion, right, whatever the case might be, if you start to guilt trip yourself about it, if you start beating yourself up about it, remember, that's completely off track. That is insanity mode on steroids. I'm serious. Don't let that happen to you. If that happens, go back to this. Go back and kick yourself back into your senses. Never, never, never. And never again. Beat yourself up about something that has happened. You might be angry, right? Now don't think to yourself, I'm an angry person. I'm a useless person. That is insanity mode. Again. Yet again. Things will happen. Let's say, you know, you lose control and you've done something you shouldn't have done. Maybe desire, lust got the better of you and you've done something you shouldn't have done. Right? Come back to your senses. It's not you. It's just something that happened to you. It's not you. If you try and convince yourself that you're a bad person, you're a terrible person, look at me, how dare I do, do something like this, you're back again on the wrong track. You know, somewhere people get lost, lose themselves is where they go back into the times in history, things that have happened to them in the past, you know, maybe sometimes five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and they still keep beating themselves up about it. I feel so sorry for people like that because they're, they're simply not doing themselves any favors by doing that. And it's completely based in ignorance. That's why I don't like it. So never find yourself doing that. I used to be like that because I thought that was about being good. You know, to be good, we should regret and repent huh? our past. We should repent bad things, not us being bad because we weren't there to be bad at the time. Bad is bad, not I am bad. 
and likewise good is good, not I am good. This I, whether it's bad or good, are simply ceiling. <coughs> Excuse me, are simply manifestations of the self. Right. So it's not me. Then, who am I? If that's not me, then who am I? Yeah, so we've gotten ourselves out of this, this trap. It's not me, so who am I? Mind and body. Now ask yourself, is the problem with the mind or is the problem with the body? If it's a problem with the body, then find the most appropriate way to solve that problem. If you're hungry, go and get you something to eat. If you're thirsty, go and get yourself a drink. If you're tired, take a rest, sit down, right? If you're feeling tired, you know, go for a walk, whatever, jump, do whatever you need to do. If it's the mind, now ask the mind, are you minding your own business? Remind the mind what its business is. The mind only has one business. Receive, register, recognize, respond, and perceive. If it's doing anything other than that, in other words, if it's tensing, if it's getting anxious, if it's getting angry, if it's getting annoyed, if it's feeling lustful, if it's feeling desiring, all of these things are where the mind has gone into this number two, it's activated an insanity mode, which is not its business. The moment you see that, that is a dose of medicine that you have just given yourself. Give yourselves a pat on the back. That's what you should do. This is how I deal with myself. This is how you should try it. So give this a go. Take it out for a ride. Madam? Accountability. Uh, can you explain it a bit further? Yes, <clears throat> there is a sense of accountability. This is how it works. For both mind and body, the mind is accountable. That's why when the mind is the body is tired, the mind has to do something about it, right? Which is which is this is the whole accountability thing that we're going through. Why are we going through this? Because we are accountable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not me, right? Whatever. Huh? Or. You know, I, I, it's, it is me, right? I, I'm a terrible person. What can I do? That's me. Uh, live with it. <laughs> Tough. No, it's not you, it's me. Oh, you know, it's not me, it's you, right? You know, live with it. That is not being accountable. All of this is why? It's because of accountability. We are dealing with the problem in the way it's meant to be dealt with. Your application of this process is your mind taking accountability for what's going on. So, do you want to try this for a week? Right? Try this for a week. And uh, let's see how it goes next week. Okay? So, this is a four-step approach. Start here. First thing you need to do is go and find something that you can use to, you know, get yourself back to your senses because you need that. Right? Sometimes it can be a good friend. Um, you know, this is the beauty of being in an environment like this where you always are surrounded by Kalyanamitras who always keep asking you, are you why did you do that? Why do you sit there? Why do you say something like that? Right? That is merit. Right? Other than that, you need to find a way to kick yourself back into reality. And then, it's not me. Who am I? Mind, body. If it's a body problem, go fix it. If it's a mind problem, is it? Are you? 
minding your own business. You can also teach this to your children in simple words, simpler words in words that they'll understand and see how they can grasp this concept. Okay? Right, I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to conclude the sermon here. You've got to be getting yourselves back to the Dhamma Hall for Guru Hamro's sermon now. <clears throat> Did you all get a chance to uh, donate blood today? Hmm? Still waiting? Oh. Right. I expect you to donate more than blood. Okay? Because blood, you, anyone can donate. I mean, it's good. It's meritorious, yeah? But I expect you to donate... Yes. Donate your soul. Donate your heart. Donate your kindness, your generosity. Your compassion, that is what the world needs. This, 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 uh, this world is ailing because there's not enough people like yourselves. Give yourselves unreservedly. Give yourselves wholeheartedly, altruistically, expecting nothing in return. Make your life on this planet worthy, worthy to other people. Make it a blessing to other people. Become a blessed one. Make your presence here a blessing to all around you. That is how I learned to live my life. This is how my teachers mold me into who I am. And I want you all to do, this, to do the same and be part of our army. You know, I feel really energized just you know, seeing you and having you here and, and knowing that you know, you'll, you'll come with us on this journey. Because this is not something, the things that we have planned to do, folks, I've only given you just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that we've planned for the future. And, and those things can't happen just because one, with one person. Remember, the Buddha himself did not set up the, or establish the entire sasana. He had 80 of his great arahants by his side and the, you know, the, 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 the lay community as well, who, who all pulled together in one direction to make this happen. It is thanks to all of them today we have the Buddha sasana. Today, it's you and us together that we have to do. We have to do this. Long live the Sambuddha sasana. Okay, let's take a moment to transfer the merits that you all acquired to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, opasakas and opasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer this maze to Guru Swami Mohanse, as well as all the teachers resident at this monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let's take a moment to transfer this merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, may, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let us also transmit we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits, 
Continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May through the power of these maids, if any of them have been... May through the power of these maids, they all abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let's take a moment to transmit to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, husbands, wives, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees, employees, and to all those who've helped, supported and assisted us along the way. By the power of these maids, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let's also take a moment to transformate to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhadasasana. Let's also transformate to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been friends and families and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara. To those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way, may they all transfer and may they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, and may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer these merits to those who lost their lives to natural calamities, such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, pandemics, and so on, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansar, those who have been to help, support, and assist us along the way. Let us take a moment to transfer these maids to them, and may the power of these maids, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and, themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahatun Mahanse, an Arahateran in Mahanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. <coughs> Members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. <coughs> Raga Ginnidatma Vesha Ginnidatma Moha Ginnidatma Nibbana Parana Sukhayan Sukhita Taratma Nibbana Parana Sukhayin Sukhita Taratma Mamana Siyalu Loka Siyalu Satmayo Nibbana Parana Sukhayin Sukhita Taratma 
निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार राग साधु साधु साधु